Good morning, Church of Jesus Christ, gathered here at Pleasant Street Church. The Lord be with you. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning to those of you that are worshiping with us online. What a joy to be together. The Lord has called us together, and we are here in his presence this morning. Thank you for making Pleasant Street Church your worshiping home this morning. It's going to be a good morning, and we're looking forward to being together. And a happy Mother's Day to all of you mothers out there. While we do not make it our practice to um, necessarily observe ha uh, hallmark holidays during our worship, we do want to definitely acknowledge our mothers out there. So happy Mother's Day to all of you as well. God is the one that has called us into worship this morning. He is the one that initiated the conversation with us, and we respond to him in our worship this morning. So before we begin, I invite you to quiet your hearts in a time of silent prayer. Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe. In your wisdom, you have made all creation to worship you. As we prepare for worship, we pray that you will quiet our hearts, that we may hear your voice in your word, that we may more faithfully follow Jesus, and that you will be glorified by the praise and prayers we offer you. May our worship today help us to offer our entire lives to you and unite us with your whole church throughout the world. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, who with the Father and the Spirit is one God, blessed forever. Amen. I invite you to rise now in body or in spirit as we join in our call to worship. Let us worship God. He is our fortress and our fortress, our God in whom we trust. Let us confess with our mouths, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let us call upon our true God, believing him in our hearts, confessing him with our mouths. Worshiping him in spirit and in truth. Let's sing together. Jesus' blood and 
Brothers and sisters, good morning. Good morning. It's good to be with you. As a church this Easter season, we have been talking together about the church, about us. We've been reading Acts. We've been looking at these stories of how the church grows, and that is fitting because today we have been singing about us, about the church. We have been singing about things that are rock solid. Amen? Amen. Martin Luther once said, and I'm going to paraphrase here, that when it comes to the truth of the gospel, we should be harder than stone. We should be rock solid about what the doctrine of the gospel is. And when it comes to how we do things as a church, we should be as soft and as accommodating as humanly possible. I found that very interesting because it occurs to me that we do exactly the opposite a lot of the time. We've been talking about the church and what the church has and what it is. We do that because we want to know how to grow as a church. How does it grow? Well, Luther's point, the point that we've been singing together, is the way that the church grows is by talking a lot more about Jesus, about who he is, about what he has done for us. What are the signs of those 
of that growth in our lives? Well, ironically, Luther and others would say it's becoming more and more aware of our own sinfulness. When you go to the gym and you lift weights and you want to get stronger, the signs is that you get stronger, right? When you want to grow spiritually, the signs of growth is that you become more and more aware of how desperately you need Jesus. And so it is right and fitting that as the church, singing about what is rock solid, about what brings us together, about what anchors us and what we can accommodate on, that we should come into the presence of God singing about Jesus who died, who gave his life and his blood for all of us, and that is finally the only thing we have in common. And so it's right and fitting that now we have a moment to grow spiritually by confessing our sin. Friends, we're going to invite the Spirit to join us in a time of confession. I will say some words on our behalf, and then you will have moments of silence in the presence of God to offer up your own silent prayers. Let's pray together. Eternal God, we confess that often we have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. Lord, we confess that we have broken your law. Lord, we confess that we have rebelled against your love. Lord, we confess that we have not loved our neighbors. Lord, we confess that we have not heard the cry of the needy. Praying to you silently, we add these words together, saying, Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's take a moment to make that prayer our own. Brothers and sisters, it is a sign of life to be aware of what we have to confess because we wouldn't without God's Spirit. And that is assurance in of itself that if God will call it to mind, he will surely offer us what we need to heal, to change, to grow. And friends, the good news is that in the presence of God who opens our eyes to our need of him, he has set before us the good news of what he has done to meet our need, the good news of Jesus. It comes from 1 Timothy 1. Hear the good news. This saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might be dead to sin and alive to all that is good. In the name of Jesus Christ, we, you, are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Friends, we confess our sin. I'm still standing here. I'm just going to go up a one, I guess. We confess our sin together, and we confess this good news that God has spoken over us, and we confess the content of our faith. Would you rise, and let's sink our teeth into these rock-solid words that come from the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. 
From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
friends, gathered in the presence of this God, you are welcomed. Receive God's welcome. It is peace and good news for you. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins in order to set us free from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God gives you peace. Would you turn and extend it to each other? in a socially distanced and appropriate way. <laughs> Can I shake your hand? Good morning. I'm John Vriesma, and I'm an elder here at Pleasant Street Church. As Pastor Matthew mentioned, the church is certainly a place that is um, solid, secure. Um, my family has been reminded that this church, or the church, is a place that is very um, comforting and encouraging and cared for uh, over the last uh, weeks and months, and we thank you for that. And uh, it's just a real blessing that the church can care for each other. On this Mother's Day, I would like to begin with just a brief prayer for our mothers and then I would like to move into a prayer for the congregation. So would you pray with me, please? This is a prayer by Heidi Busey. All loving God, we give you praise for mothers young and old. We give praise for young mothers who give life and count toes and tend to our every need. May they be blessed with patience and tenderness to care for their families and themselves with great joy. We pray for our own mothers who have nurtured and cared for us. May they continue to guide in strong and gentle ways. We remember mothers who are separated from their children because of war, poverty, or conflict. May they feel the loving embrace of our God who wipes away every tear. We pray for women who are not mothers but still love and shape us with motherly care and compassion. And we remember mothers and grandmothers and great-grandmothers who are no longer with us but who live forever with us in our memory and nourish us with their love. Our loving Father in heaven, we praise you and thank you for the godly influence of our mothers in our lives. They have raised us and cared for all of our needs, but more importantly, Lord, they have shared with us what it means to be a child of God. We thank you for providing us with moms who are so influential in our lives now or who have led us to you in the past but have now gone on to be with you in heaven. May we pass on that faith to our children. And Lord, we thank you for this house of worship where we are fed weekly through scripture, song, and prayer. We come to learn about you here. We find our hope, our meaning, and direction here each week. And today, Lord, help us to know you and to praise you more. We thank you for our leaders, Pastor Matthew, Pastor Annika, Pastor Howard, Becky, Kate, Sadie, others who give so much here to church. Lord, we thank you for the work that they all put in each week to be our shepherds. Thank you for their gifts, their passions, their godly leading. Fill them with your love and with abundant energy for all who need a word of encouragement and guidance from you. Lord, thank you for blessing this church for nearly 125 years. It is a testament to your faithfulness and love that this congregation has been in this location so long. Continue to bless us as we seek to serve you, this church family, and this community. And speaking of this congregation, Lord, continue to watch over Hank as he deals with leukemia. May he have strength and encouragement from you. And Lord, please be with Diana tomorrow and her family through surgery. Bless her with skilled surgeons compassionate nurses, and quick healing. May she feel your peace. Be near Jen as she has been moved to the Care One facility in Millbury for physical therapy. Strengthen her each day, Lord. There are others in this church, Lord, who have ongoing physical battle with battles with Parkinson's, cancers, leukemia, diabetes, and other physical ailments. Bring your healing hand. May their bodies respond to treatment. May they find times where their bodies are not aching or tired. Help them to feel joy and hope in addition to feeling pain-free. 
And through their ongoing battles, may they find you to be a source of love and encouragement. May their daily suffering, Lord, lead them closer to you. Lord, some of us are feeling the pain of loss. Harry and Leona have learned that their mother has passed away. And Father, be with them as they travel and make arrangements and be with family. And Lord, may they know your presence in their lives. And for those who have felt the sting of death in their lives lately, Lord, may you be the source of comfort. Bring your hope and assurance in the face of death. And may we know that your peace that passes earthly understanding, Lord, let us know that in powerful ways. Let us remember that you are the God of this earthly life, but you are also the God of eternal life. And we thank you for the hope and the peace and the assurance that we can have in the face of death and disease. Father, we know that some schools have returned back to being in person, and again, that's a big adjustment. And Lord, we ask that you would bring patience and wisdom, understanding. Lord, we just ask that that transition would go well. And Lord, we thank you for the beauty of spring, this beautiful day that you have given us, for the new life that you create each year, for flowers and trees that so, are so amazing this time of year. Lord, your handiwork is just awesome. This week, Jesus, we remember that you conquered death, that you experienced new life, and you rose to heaven. And on Thursday, we celebrate your ascension to heaven, declaring that you are our king and are coming back for us someday when your heavenly kingdom is ready. While we await your return, let us be faithful servants for you, building your earthly kingdom here. Help us to use our gifts here in this church, whether it is leading a service, caring for children, running technology, creating budgets, or making plans for the future. Let us be willing to help build your kingdom, starting with this church. Help us to give of our time, our talents, and our financial resources. Let us live like those who know you are king. And Lord, as we hear a message from your word, as we sing praises to you and give our financial offerings to you, oh Lord, may we be filled with your spirit and may we feel your presence in our lives. As you bless us, Lord, may we be a blessing to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Good morning. morning. The Lord be with you. This morning's reading comes from Galatians 1, verses 1 through 10, and Galatians 2, verses 11 through 14, and 19 through 21. Let's begin. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. 
But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew and yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? For, the, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith. Himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Friends, would you pray with me? God who sets things right. With great joy, we receive the gift of salvation, which is ours, not because of our own efforts, but because of the saving work of Jesus. Grant us full access to the glory of your salvation, an abundance that is more than enough for all humankind. As we read your word now, O God, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to us and make this news of your resurrection spiritually real to our hearts. Open our eyes so that we might see and seeing understand and understanding believe and believing that we might follow in all faithfulness and obedience in the way that you have made for us through your body. For the sake of our redeeming Christ, we pray. Amen. Last week, Peter and Paul met in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15. They met to talk about circumcision at the big theology conference that happened there. When it happened, Peter welcomed Paul with a handshake and outstretched arms. Today, in Galatians chapter 2, Peter and Paul meet in Antioch about the same thing, but this time... Paul calls him out in front of everyone. This conflict might be one of the most dramatic in the whole of the New Testament. What makes it a big deal is in part the fact that it is a conflict between Peter and Paul, between these two giants in the early church. They go face to face, toe to toe. But why does it happen? What well, happens because when Peter comes down to Antioch for a visit to the churches there, he stops having lunch with the Gentile believers. And Paul recounts the story for us in Galatians 2. You see, some people pretending to have James' authority from Jerusalem, this circumcision group, they came to Antioch. We hear Paul call them for what they are, false teachers disturbing the church but they would have just said, we are simply more committed to Christianity than the rest of you. Or just last week, we saw that the apostles hashed out this question of circumcision. Did the Gentiles have to become Jewish in order to become Christians? No, they said. And they wrote a letter sending it around to tell everyone that Gentiles don't have to be circumcised to be Christians. Well, apparently, just because the apostles said it does not mean that the debate is over. Not everyone is satisfied by that answer, and so some disciples start traveling around pretending to have church authority, running a kind of grassroots campaign, saying things like, the apostles are going soft on the Gentiles. If Jerusalem isn't going to enforce moral standards in the church, then we will ourselves. There is no salvation without circumcision. Well, apparently they're rather convincing and forceful, even bewitching, Paul says. And Peter himself begins to fall for it. Peter, who had come to love to eat with the Gentiles. Peter, who got that vision from God himself about Cornelius. God put it on repeat three times just so he got the point. 
Well, now Peter starts to shrink back from the communal meal. He begins to separate himself from them. Why? Well, Paul can see it. It's because he's afraid. If you know Peter's story at all, you'll notice that all of a sudden it's like Good Friday all over again. On Good Friday, there was that servant girl, and Jesus is on trial in the middle of the night, and she's trying to peg Peter as a disciple. She's saying, you're one of them. He says, I swear to you that I am not, three times. And the rooster crowed. Here's Peter doing rather the same thing all over again. This time, not denying Jesus by what he says, but by what he does, or rather, by what he doesn't do. And other Jewish Christians begin to follow Peter's lead. He is Peter, after all. And one by one, the other Jewish Christians stop showing up for the church potluck when the Gentiles are on kitchen duty that day. Can't make it. uh, Regrets only. Uh, Family reunion and so forth and so on. Even Barnabas. Barnabas, who was there from the beginning of the whole Gentile movement. Even Barnabas stops showing up. Well, Paul is having none of it. He calls Peter out in front of all of them, publicly, to his face, in front of all of them. Why publicly? Because Peter's actions were public. This wasn't just about Peter's personal religious convictions. No, Peter's refusal to have lunch with the Gentiles is hurting the whole community. And so Paul puts him on blast. Paul calls him out. However, He doesn't shame Peter on Facebook with a photo of an empty chair where Peter should be sitting, you know, and then a post about how Peter should have known better, as if deep in his heart he's really a better person than this. Nor does Paul cancel him for his racism or his cultural elitism. Peter's behavior is ethnocentric. It is elitist. It is hypocritical. And it is breaking the fabric of the church community. But Paul sees all of these things as symptoms of something deeper. What is it? Paul says in verse 14, I could see in what Peter was doing that he was not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. Peter's behavior is a failure to remember and believe a doctrine. Paul calls him on his doctrine. And look, the way that Paul is talking to Peter in that story there in chapter 2 is the same way he's really kind of talking to us through this letter in Galatians, isn't he? Paul is saying that all of our problems, all of the ways that our community is torn and fractured, those things are real but they are symptoms of a failure to believe and remember the gospel. They are a failure to understand a doctrine. Galatians is Paul's in-your-face gospel double-down letter. He is nothing if he is not doctrinally assertive here. For most of us, that's the clearest thing that comes across, right? That Paul is adamant, cranky even, about the message that he has been Saying, I am astonished, he says, that you are deserting what I taught you. Paul does not say, I noticed you're exploring some fresh perspectives, nor I am excited to hear that you're thinking your own thoughts about Jesus. No, not that. I am astonished that you are deserting, as in abandoning your post, as in giving up the inheritance, as if running away from the only safe place in the world that there is. And for what? And for what? A gospel that is no gospel at all. Paul knows that there are other versions of the news about Jesus out there, but there's only one right message. It's the one that I preached to you. He said, it's what you received. We handed it to you. You didn't make it up. We gave it to you. You received it. Don't let go of it. Even if I come to you someday saying a different one, don't believe me. Because there's only one gospel. This real gospel, you'll know it because it ruffles feathers, and it is not the easiest message to preach or to hear, but if I cared what people think, I wouldn't be in this business. I wouldn't be a servant of Jesus Christ. 
And so Paul is bullish about this doctrine of the gospel. He's saying there's a right version of it, and it is life or death important to him. Why? Well, because the gospel makes the church. If the gospel is going, if the church is going to display the good news of God, the power of God, the wisdom of God, then it has to get the gospel right. Because the gospel makes the church, not the other way around. Now, let's be honest. Frankly, in many ways, this seems to be everything that's wrong with Christianity. Paul is calling out his brother Peter. He's calling us out too. He's saying if we don't believe the right things, can't we just focus on loving people? We are reticent to bring up doctrine a lot of times because we think it's not that important. More specifically, we think that doctrine gets in the way of loving people. Lauren Winner uh, is a writer, and she grew up in the South as the child of a Jewish father and a lapsed Baptist mother. She was raised Jewish, and she took to it so thoroughly that she became an Orthodox Jew. But then after becoming an Orthodox Jew, she became an Anglican Christian. (laughs) In her memoir, Girl Meets God, Lauren chronicles this wild, bumpy, convoluted journey uh, into Orthodox Judaism and then out of it into Anglican Christian faith in New York City. Becoming a Christian was a long process. It didn't happen in a straight line. It was a little bit like this. She bought a book of common prayer. She gave away her sutter. She kept Sabbath but started going to Vespers. She broke up with her Orthodox boyfriend, and then she ate a bowl of Campbell's clam chowder. She read a biography of St. Teresa of Avila, and she wrote papers about the American Great Awakening. She's a historian. And she also began to sit in on an inquiry service at a church in New York near the campus where she worked. It was a progressive church, she says, in New York City, and it was offering this pretty generic, uh, non-confrontational religious experience for those who were spiritually curious in the city. And after each service, there was a time for question and answers. And she, she writes, after one evening, uh, one evening, a stout blonde woman, a member of the vestry and a sculptor, she led the session. And she gave us a talk about eco-spirituality, And she spoke about Jesus, who she said was our cultural expression of the divine truth that all people yearn for, just as Kali was the Hindu's cultural expression. During the question and answer, I raised my hand. Probably I missed something, she said. But if Jesus is our cultural expression of a universal divine impulse, why does one say the creed? See, one of the central teachings of the uh, Nicene Creed, which Episcopalians recite each Sunday, is that Jesus is Lord, the only Son of God, eternally begotten from the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. True God, not one of our culture's expressions of a divine impulse that we all have. The Creed, explained the sculptor, is our culture's vocabulary for giving voice to divinity. Lauren left the class furious, furious about intellectual inconsistency, furious that truth claims about Jesus seemed irrelevant. And as she walked home, it struck her as odd that it took an Orthodox Jew to ask a question about the doctrine of Jesus. Lauren was not a Christian when this happened, and yet she knew already that what set Christianity apart in New York or anywhere The only thing that made it worth anything is the claim that Jesus is the Son of God who died for our sins. In other words, she already understood what Paul is desperate to get across to us this morning, that the gospel of Jesus, the one that he preached, the good news, it means everything or it means nothing. Friends, you cannot escape doctrine in this world. Saying doctrine doesn't matter and we should just love people. Do you know what that is? It's a doctrine. It's just not the one Paul's talking about. Friends, in this world, we can't escape doctrine. The question question cannot be for us whether it is doctrine or love that matters. The question is which doctrine will enable you to love. You know, actually, there's two doctrines happening in Galatians. Both are bullish. Both are extremely adamant that they're right. The first comes from the circumcision group. They're teaching that to become a Christian is to become a Jew. You cannot have Christianity without Torah and the sign. 
But what is the fruit of that doctrine? What does it do to people? How do they live it? There's some people in the church who are saying, ah, no, I can't have lunch with you anymore. That is the behavior that that doctrine leads to. And while Paul is equally adamant, isn't he? But his is a very different doctrine. His is a gospel. Not good advice, good news. This is not Paul on an ego trip about how he really wants what he said to be what wins in Christian history, okay? He's writing because the church is sick. The Galatian church had become factional, sick with ethnocentrism, Jew versus Gentile, sick with sexism, male versus female, sick with classism, slave versus free. We'll read about that in chapter 3 next week. And for Paul, these are devastating symptoms of a misunderstanding of the gospel because the gospel makes the church. And what is that gospel that Paul is so adamant about? Well, you've heard it twice already. It is grace and it is peace to you and you and you and you and me from God who is our Father because Jesus gave himself for our sins in order to rescue us from being trapped in evil. And all of this happened because God wanted it to. That's the medicine. That's the power to change. Still today, the church gets sick. And when the church falls into ethnocentrism or sexism or classism or whatever other ism, when it becomes stagnant or overzealous, when it becomes judgmental or culturally accommodated, these are all symptoms of a misunderstanding of what Paul is desperately trying to give to us again today. Why is Paul bullish about it? Because the church must be a community that loves across deep divides. And it's because this doctrine, unlike anything else, leads to more love, more fellowship, more belonging. You can hear it in chapter 2. Through the law I died so that I might live. I have been crucified. I don't live. It's Christ living in me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The point of all this is that it leads to life. It leads to life with God and with each other. That's why he's writing to the Galatians and that's why he confronts Peter to his face. Not because he likes controversy but because this is the only hope we have for unity and a controversial and fractured world. For through it, we see that God has shown his love to enemies. And so we wash the feet of those who hate us. God came to the weak, so we protect all who are despised. God didn't wait for us to ask. He simply forgave us from his own death on the cross. And so forgive those who do not know they need it. Have compassion on the unjust. Value those who are irrelevant. God has been rich in mercy to you, so give away all that you have, especially to those who cannot do anything for you. Friends, this doctrine makes us more tolerant of people who think differently than we do, not less. This doctrine teaches us to assume that everyone else is better than us, not worse. You know, Calvin said, I mentioned this already, but Calvin said that the more that you grow in Jesus, the more aware you will become that you are inconsistent, that you fall short, that you need help, and desperately so. In other words, this doctrine humbles us like it did Saul. Because we remember that God had to die for us in order for us to be saved. But at the same time, this doctrine also makes us more deeply aware that God loves us. There's nothing that we could do to receive it or or to own it or to claim it on our own. He just does, and he will not change his mind. And because of that, this uh, doctrine makes us more bold to speak the truth like Peter. This doctrine, in other words, has the power to transform us at the deepest levels. After all, it's what turns Saul the terrorist into Paul the evangelist. And it's what turns Simon the perpetual coward into Peter the lion-hearted preacher. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a Welsh Presbyterian pastor last century, a guy who could be rather salty and sometimes a little bit adamant himself. 
deeply formed by the gospel. Uh, he was extremely critical of modern 20th century uh, adaptations of Christianity. He did tremendous work last century in helping churches uh, not to lose hold of the doctrinal heart of Christianity. And there's a story uh, about Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones and a time that he confronted another giant in the church of his day, uh, a pastor named T.T. Shields. Now, Shields was based in Toronto, and Jones was based in London, two major cities in the evangelical world. They shared a lot in common. They were both deeply concerned that the church would remember the gospel, but Jones himself became concerned about something else. You see, Shields had spent his career attacking liberals and Catholics on his Twitter feed. I mean, sorry, what was that? Oh, in his publication, uh, The Gospel Witness. Every time that Shields got into it with a liberal Protestant or a Roman Catholic thinker, guess what? Likes, I mean, sales went up. I don't know what's happening. Well, uh, it turns out Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones became really convicted that Shields was actually harming the very young Christians that he was supposed to be helping. You see, instead of teaching them the gospel, he was teaching them to shish kebab the people they disagreed with. He was feeding them the gospel poisoned with his own contentious disposition. So the story goes that there was a meeting coming up, and both Jones and Shields were going to be there. Jones really didn't want to bring this up. He was a lot younger than Shields. He had tremendous respect for him and his career. Seemed like the Holy Spirit was telling him that he ought to bring it up. Martin Lloyd-Jones' wife, Beth Ann, she said she'd pray for him. <laughs> so the meeting comes, and wouldn't you know it, but the conversation turns to criticizing liberals. Well, Shields says that he loves to read this one 19th century author who would make mincemeat of liberals. Jones said... You can make mincemeat of liberals and still be in trouble in your own soul. And Jones began to call him on his tone and his critical spirit. Shields tried to defend himself. Each time, Jones pushed back gently and sightfully. Flustered, Shields got up. They were having lunch, and he went for a walk in the garden. And after a couple minutes, he came back. And then Shields quoted Paul in Galatians 2. And he said, well, Paul confronted Peter, so I am allowed to condemn liberals. What do you say to that? Jones replied, I would say this. What Paul was trying to do was to win Peter back. He was trying to bring him in line with the gospel, not condemn him. Can you say the same about the people whom you attack? Shields was done. Jones continued, Dr. Shields, you used to be known as the Canadian Spurgeon, and you were. You were an outstanding man, pastor, and preacher, but then you changed. You became denunciatory. I think it's ruined your ministry. Come back. Drop all this controversy. Preach the gospel and win them. Do you know what he did? Do you see what he did? Jones called Shields on his behavior, but really he was reminding him of the gospel. He was showing Shields that he was condemning the very people for whom Jesus was condemned. He was showing Shields that he was out for blood from the very people whom Jesus bled for. And as they drove home, Shields wept. He wept. And he confessed, I have never been spoken to like this in my life, and I am most grateful You have moved me very deeply. And I can't help but wonder if God's message about Jesus, if the good news of Jesus who died for us so that we can live for him, if this gospel can bring a 60-year-old self-important culture warrior to his knees in repentance and joy, imagine what it can do in our church. Imagine what it could heal here. Imagine what it could do in you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? God, who sets things right, with great joy we receive the gift of salvation, which is ours not because of our own efforts, but because of the saving work of Christ. Grant us full access to the glory of your salvation, an abundance that is more than enough for all humankind. Send your Holy Spirit and leave it with us now, O God, 
making this, your resurrection spiritually real to our hearts. Open our eyes that we might see as we leave and seeing, understand, and understanding, believe, and believing that we might follow in all faithfulness and obedience in the way that you have made for us through your body. For the sake of our redeeming Christ. Amen. Friends, when God speaks to us, we, as Becky opened with us, we are joining a conversation in worship. God has the first word and we are learning to respond. God speaks to us in his words and it is only fitting that we should want to respond. One of the ways that we do that is by raising our voice in song. But we also get to do that by giving back some of what God has entrusted to us. Money, time, offering, talents, all of these things. Normally in worship, this would be the place where we would be able to pass back at baskets and give back to God in worship. Of course, because of COVID, we can't do that right now, but there are still ways that we can be giving, either online through the website portal uh, or at the box in the entryway when you came into the sanctuary or by dropping your checks off during the week. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to talk to Sadie. She'll let you know. Uh, so today we have two offerings, both the offering for the work of our congregation, but also a second offering from the deacons for a ministry of our denomination called World Renew. And we have a chance to watch uh, just a brief video about the work that they are doing. Let's do that together. Brothers and sisters, that same spirit that assures us that God really is speaking to us today, that same spirit that opens our eyes to our need of him and applies the gospel to us is that same spirit that we go out in the power of, as we just saw together. Friends, would you rise and let's receive God's parting blessing together. Go in the love of God who gave his son for our sins. We go bearing Christ's love to a hostile world. Go in the power of God who rescued us from death. We go to be Christ's body in this broken world. Go in the wisdom of God who saves us according to his will. We go belonging to our Father. Friends, go in the grace and peace of God our Father and the Lord Jesus in the power of God's Spirit. To whom be glory. the week.
his foes lie crushed beneath his feet, for the conqueror has risen. And as the stone is rolled away, and Christ emerges from his grave, his victory march continues till the day, every eye and heart shall see.